0: hey there greetings everyone and welcome back to another episode of plan b success we have todd cochrane with us today who's the ceo of raw voice and blueberry podcast media company that he started quite some time back actually he's been doing podcasting since about 2004 2005 he's focused on podcast advertising has built that side of the business and he's uh, in the podcast hall of fame so we have somebody who knows who understands and who's built podcasting to become what it became today. So welcome, Todd.
1: Thank you for having me and looking forward to our uh, discussion.
0: Awesome. You know, when I look at podcasting and it's, uh, I believe that it's kind of come of age pretty recently over the last, maybe five, seven years ago in terms of the growth that it's been seeing, but it's, it's been around for a long time and I think you've been associated with it before it was even known as podcasting. So can you tell us a little bit about how you kind of stumbled into it?
1: Yeah. So in 2004, I was uh, active duty military. I'd sustained a non-combat injury and was in recovery and basically had a broken back. And um, when you're broke in the military, they are always looking, you know, to find a place for you, and sometime that place is retirement, and I wasn't ready to uh, to retire yet, and uh, so I ended up out in Texas, and I was uh, essentially doing contract enforcement and making sure the taxpayer dollars were being spent wisely on some contracts and some rebuilding of some airplanes. And being that I was in a body cast at the time in Texas at that time of year it was very very hot, and so I spent a lot of time in the hotel room and on my laptop and kind of searching the web and. I came across uh, Adam Curry, who is commonly referred to as the podfather of podcasting, and Dave Weiner, who is the creator of the RSS specification, RSS 2.0, which podcasting is basically powered on today. Came across their podcast and really kind of caught the fever and very shortly thereafter started my own tech show. And uh, that tech show today has over 1,600 episodes and you know, launched around October, 2004, believe it or not, it was being called a podcast. Uh, even at the very beginning, no one knew what the heck it was, but um, was really, really early. One of the first uh, 30 or 40 or so podcasters that got started. Um, I was a failed blogger. I didn't do, I wasn't doing, doing well at communicating at all via the written word and podcasting seemed to fit me very well and, and things took off. And then, Just a series of events, a a book deal, a sponsorship, building a network, um, really kind of set me up to the point where in June, July of 2005, that I determined that there was a business here. And uh, I built, started my company non-traditionally. I basically said on my podcast, I'm looking for an MBA. I'm looking for a lawyer. I'm looking for someone that is a graphics designer and a programmer. And we're having a call in nine days. And if you, you fit one of those slots, uh, be on the call. And the audience had grown pretty big at that point. And, uh, sure enough on that phone call was, a a, a a graphics guy, a lawyer, an MBA and the graphics guy knew the programmer and got him on the phone. And ultimately we launched a company literally virtually pointed that didn't exist, uh, over the phone. And we, uh, We started repping podcast as a, as a basically a media company from the very beginning and uh, we're profitable from, from day one. So it was really kind of a sequence of events, but I was still working a full-time job in the Navy and uh, was not, you know, looking at retirement for a few more years. So it was quite the juggle. It was uh, work, the, you know, the regular job during the day and then build a business at night. So it was pretty exciting times.
0: Well, that's very fascinating, Todd. What's fascinating is you did not uh, stop at just having that uh, tech podcast network that you created and just focusing on that, but you saw a bigger opportunity here to actually become a media company. And uh, how many podcasters do you represent today?
1: Today, there's probably, you know, I would say we don't necessarily represent them, but we work with. Probably close to 85,000 to 100,000 shows that use a variety of our product services. So, a segment of them use our statistic product. A portion of those customers use our hosting product. Another portion of them use a plugin for WordPress that's called PowerPress that allows a podcast, potential podcaster to power their podcast right on their own WordPress website. So, all total, probably around 80, 85,000 people, up to 100,000 people at times are are using one of our products and services. Not all of them are paid customers. Some are free, but uh, it's built a business now where we have uh, a team that fluctuates as high as about 20. And uh, right now spread across entire United States. We were centrally located in Columbus, Ohio, but after COVID uh, hit, uh, really, we kind of opened it up and everyone worked remote. We started as a remote company, so it wasn't a big shift for us.
0: Awesome. And then you also kind of, uh, you know, the sponsorship side of things in terms of advertising and all, you helped shape some of that to, to what it is today. So how, how did that come about? Was it, uh, how did you get your first sponsorship?
1: Well, the first sponsorship happened via an email. I got an email from a, a gal by the name of Chris Redlinger. and a matter of fact, she was probably the genesis point for the decision to start the company because she came in and uh, she was representing GoDaddy. And the domain, uh, domain host, and web host provider, and said, "Hey, we want to sponsor your podcast." And really, there was no one sponsoring podcasts at the time. And as a matter of fact, it was a bit taboo because in the early days of podcasting, everyone was supposed to be doing it for the art and love, and making money was not an option. But I had already been dictated by my spouse that this thing had to figure out how to make money in the first couple of years because I was dumping a lot into it because. It isn't like it is today. It was relatively free. And while it was expensive then, now it's re- almost free today to do a show. But the conversation essentially happened where we, ca- we kind of came up with a number initially. And what it was is the number to cover my bills. That was my, my sponsorship number. And after those first 30 days, she came back to me and said, I want to renew you for an entire year and I'm like, well, how'd we do? And she said, well, you brought 376 new GoDaddy customers to us. And the keyword there was new. And I said, well, I said, I need to go back and do some math. And I worked the numbers for a while and went back to her with a number. And I gave her that number. And you know how when you're like going to buy something and you're negotiating and someone says yes mm-hmm. really fast to your number, you know immediately that you have undervalued what you should be charging. Because again, there was no standard. There was no idea. And I quick and I quickly followed up with, and can we add a bonus component? And she laughed at me. She said, you've undervalued what you're worth. And yes, we'll add a bonus piece to it. So we came up with a deal that was acceptable to both of us. And at the end of that call, she said, by the way, do you know someone else that would like to run advertising with GoDaddy? And I'd started this tech network. And I said, yeah, I got 13 shows that can start today. And that's where the formulation of the business idea began. It goes back to that that saying, would you rather have 100 percent of your own money or you know one percent or 10 percent of someone else's? So it really was a idea. then I figured out that we could, we could we could monetize the business on, on the margins.
0: You know, today, today's uh, atmosphere around podcasting when we look at it, obviously, there are those uh, really blue chip shows you know, blue chip uh, sponsorships, but then the bulk of it is what I'd like to call the mid-market or the lower end of podcasting, where a lot of people apparently jump into it from a passion standpoint, you know, more of a hobby. And one of the key things has been, you know, for, for my own podcast, for that matter, have been around for three years, it's consistency. You know, how consistent are you so that you don't fizzle out? But, you know... Trying to start a podcast is one thing. and I know you've written a book about it, too, um, in terms of how do you get, get going with a podcast. But the business side of podcasting, there's not a lot of information out there about it in terms of how do you raise your number of listeners and subscribers? you know, How do you hack that growth? And how do you monetize it? All of that. So can you help share um, some of your insights?
1: I think really... What it boils down to anyone, whether it be an individual business, whether it be uh, whatever the individual needs are, is what is the goal? Number one, if you have a goal, is the goal to gain leads? Is the goal to inform and have fun? Is the goal to advance yourself and get more access to? Uh, higher levels in a business or is it just it's it really getting to be a name that's a household name or someone that's known uh, for me when I started my podcast initially it was about building street cred about my name and, and tech and building that it really wasn't a monetization goal but I think if you have a goal in the very beginning of what that show what you want that show to accomplish then I think you're gonna have a much better or much easier time reaching the audience that you want to reach when you know exactly the goal going into doing the show. Now the goal may shift over time, but I think initially having that goal of, okay, I want to get more business leads or I want to drive people to my website. So um, they connect with me, whatever it may be. And then really it's, it's, it's a, it's a multifaceted approach. Um, Just recording a show and putting it out there on the street, that's the easy part. That's, that's the bare bones minimum to get started is putting that episode out. Like you said, on a consistent basis, but really it goes much deeper. Then you got to build a brand on your.com. Not some, not your host's website. You build on your brand. Um, you never see a business being built on rented land. Now they may rent a place in a building. That's, that's one thing, but they understand they're there until the rent gets too high, or uh, they buy the building. My uh, stature in podcasting is own your .com, because you're not renting that land. You own that brand, and you can build upon that. And then second, really make that the place where people centralize and come to your show to find out about you. You also get the Google accessibility through Google search engine by having rich show notes, writing great titles, for episode great and great episode content. So you give that Google search engine something to eat on and build authority. And just like you're building authority doing the podcast, your website has to build authority in Google in order to drive some inbound traffic that is coming from search engines. Now, that's just one piece. And there's also the social. Going to where your audience is. Hang out where your audience is. If they're on LinkedIn, hang out on LinkedIn. If they're on Facebook, hang out on Facebook. To find where your tribe is, is congregating And then come in and be part of that community. Don't be a promoter. But one thing that you can always do is if you're keeping track of your episodes and what's being covered on your episodes, and if you're hanging out where people that would listen to your show are, when someone says something about a topic you cover, say, hey, by the way, I do a podcast on episode 22. At about the 30 minute mark, I talk about this topic. And you can be a reference, and that is a way to build audience without being a. Hey, you come listen to my podcast. You know, no one wants to hear an advertisement in any of these communities. But then again, it it also goes to the point where you have to go to events. If there's a trade show, if there is a uh, event, festival, whatever it is, an event where you can go to where your audience is going to be and hang out, speak again, build this authority, build your build your brand, is really a multifaceted approach to building a podcast. It's You just cannot do the bare minimum of, of recording a show. And, and people say, that's a lot of work. Well, it's a lot of work. And I remember when I was building my show, before I started building a business, was I was probably spending oh, five times as much time promoting as recording. So I was probably spending 20 hours a week doing different things to, to build awareness for the show. And when I started, there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook. (laughs) There was, you know, there was none of that stuff that makes it much, much easier today to connect. I was going on to use net forums and kind of crazy stuff that doesn't almost even exist anymore uh, in order to get uh, the word out. So I think it's a multifaceted approach to build a show, but the main thing is grind. You got to grind those episodes out and get better. And it's it's really a a marathon and not a race. If you're expecting to come out of the gate with really no uh, visibility, you may have visibility in your community, but if you don't have visibility across fifty states of the world, it takes time to build that. And I always tell podcasters it's it's a minimum of a two year grind to. To really start to maybe even see things start to pick up a little bit because family and friends are going to listen. They're going to tell a few, but ultimately those that do come into your show and get you give them value and don't waste their time and you fill their brain with nuggets. You know, all they got to do is walk away with one big nugget from a show each episode and they'll tell 20 people about that and that will drive people in. So really, the number one degree of the show is give value to your audience. Your audience will spread the words for you natively.
0: And and at what point do you think that any podcaster should start looking at it as a business in terms of, let's say, sponsorships and such? Is there like a sweet spot or a number of listeners that they need to get to before they start engaging?
1: Again, I think that... um, to make real money in this space is obviously volume or you have to have a super niche. And I knew a neurosurgeon that was doing a podcast is world renowned. He reached about a thousand other neurosurgeons in the world. His show was incredibly value. There was advertisers that wanted to pay twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 an episode to, to advertise on his show specific products or instruments or whatever it may be because he reached a super niche, highly valuable audience. If you have a more wide audience, more broad, then it really is building volume. But again, you don't have to be super niche. You just have to attract enough of a crowd that you're delivering enough value to, to get, garner value back out for who may come sponsor your podcast. I think that um, five years ago, the situation was a little different in that we... Told shows, you have to get to 10,000 listeners before you can monetize. Now with features like programmatic advertising, programmatic advertising is where you basically accept the advertising that is given to you automatically. And it's it's basically rolled as a pre-roll onto your show. And that can serve as a springboard. You basically get you some revenue coming in, enough to get you at least some satisfaction that the time that you're putting in is of some value and you're getting some value out of it while at the same time doing all these things to grow the show. And it's kind of a springboard for a couple of years to get that show to the point where you can have a full-time advertiser. But what I have found in working with literally thousands of podcasters, 50% of podcasters want no advertising. They have a different goal. Their goal is to help people. Their goal is a variety of things. Just to talk with a friend So 50% of shows in this space today, they don't care about monetizing. Now they may like a donation or a little support that way, but the other 50% want to have advertising, but largely this is a hard number to swallow about 40% of them have not built an audience big enough to really attract an advertiser. That's going to come in and and say, I'm going to be in your show month to month. Um, Why? Because again, Unless they're coming in to build awareness, let's say Geico's come in and advertise on your show. They they are just building awareness about Geico. But if you have like a GoDaddy or some of the other advertisers that are in the space right now, they are absolutely looking for a conversion rate. They're looking for how many people are going to buy that product using the promo code. It's direct response advertising. And they will terminate your advertising if you don't perform. So, one thing, you can hurt yourself by going too early. So, I always tell podcasters, you know, maybe have a product of your own you promote initially and see how the response is and the reaction. Not everyone has a product. So, oftentimes, advertisers will come to you from within the show itself. If they love the show enough, they like the content, maybe it's someone they're trying to reach. So it it works a variety of ways. And again, we've got models now where it's value for value. If someone says, you tell your audience, did you get value out of this? What was the value worth? Was the value worth $5? Was it worth 10? Was it worth a hundred, a thousand? I know shows that are doing the value for value model that literally earn a couple hundred thousand dollars a year from listener donations that come in because the audience is getting value and they don't donate again and again and again. So again, there's multiple ways to get to that monetization point.
0: You know, in order to incrementally increase that listenership or have them coming back, you know, build your loyal community, so to speak, what strategies would you advise in terms of getting the show out there? You know, you talked about, you know, trying to get on, uh, get into events. You know, you talked about... um, you know, getting into communities and spreading the word. But are there any other ways in terms of you, you know, leveraging social media, etc.?
1: Well, there's probably two points to this. Um, number one, are you, the thing you have to remember about podcast and the way they're communicated. You and I are having conversation right now, but your listeners are a community. But you're really, and you and I are having a conversation with one person. Right. And, but multiplied many times. It's a real personal relationship. So we always have to make sure that we're talking to the listener, not to the community as large. Make sure you try to always address and make people feel like they're part, they're, they're an intimate part, that they have a seat at the table here, as per right. se. And if you can visualize that, number one, if you think about, and the best thing to do is go out in Google and just search, what does a hundred people look like in an image or a thousand or 10,000? And you can visualize what that audience truly looks like. It, the, the, the thing I tell podcasters is, would you go to an event and not be prepared and step up and speak to a hundred or 1500 or 2000 people? And people say, no. I say, well, if you take your podcast in the same vein and be very serious about being prepared to talk to those 2,000, 1,500, a hundred people, like they were standing in front of you, you well, number one, you're not going to waste their time. Number two, you're going to get to the point and get the content done. Sure. You're going to have some dialogue and some interaction potentially, because you're going to get maybe some email feedback, but if that is done and you're treating that audience with respect, then when it comes to the social promotion, they will almost social promote for you. I always ask the audience, you know, wh- what did you love about what I've talked about today? And if you will, put it out there in social media, talk about it, spread the word and have your, your community, your army of listeners, the 10% that are like the top, the ones you always hear from, They will go out and do as much evangelizing for you on social as anyone does. One of the things I do as part of my sponsorship with GoDaddy is I say, you may not need a product today, but you may have a friend or acquaintance or someone that's talking about starting an online business and they need to start an online website. Give them the recommendation to come to my website and use my promo code. So I get referral. So that, you know, that, that seven degrees of separation, I get that referral. Someone that doesn't even listen to the show come over and uses the promo code because the listeners recommended it. But it's the same thing with the audience. You go tell a friend about this show. Someone you know wants to listen to this podcast or needs to listen to this podcast. Don't keep it to yourself. I mean, if you tell the audience, give them actions to do that, they will almost be your your social your social uh, network of you know, exposers of the show. I guess if that's a word. But, you know, it, it, the typical social media stuff is tough because I can post on Facebook. I got a new episode out, but how do I do that twice a week and not become a snob? So I think what we have to do in social media is give value again. So as an example, uh, Blueberry customers can integrate with a company called Headliner and Headliner allows you to take and take a two minute clip. And make it like a little reel Mm -hmm. that you can put on Instagram or Facebook. And it's actually something of value. It's not just to say, come listen to my show. It's actually something that you can put out there, say, here's a snippet from the show that's really important. And then a listener can go, wow, that that was deep. Or, yep, that hit the point. And then that's going to make them seek the show. So, again, when it comes to social promotion, always provide value. And if you're thinking about that and consistent, I'm guilty of just saying, Hey, there's a new episode up Come listen. I've done that before. And cause it takes work to go in there and find that clip and, and then put it out there. But if you're recording all these hours and hours of content, there's pieces you can repurpose. You can go back two weeks ago and grab that piece of, of and it will help drive people back to either episode one or the current episode. So and it's, it's an ongoing thing you have to do. Again, leverage your audience. Maybe someone in your audience is wants to help. So I always ask my audience: is there anyone that wants to help promote the show? My, I now was was able to about five years ago, I was able to hire someone to do the pre-production work for my show. I do a tech show news. So it's, it's just scouring news articles, but I found my mother from another brother. was a listener of the show and him and I clicked. And he does my show prep. He lives in New Jersey. And I very rarely have to censor or knock stuff out. He knows what I want to talk about. And uh, so sometimes your strongest support to build the show comes from within the show. So don't be afraid to ask the audience, hey, who, who's up for, uh, for helping doing social promotion? So sometimes you're going to find that from within, from your biggest fans. That's who you want doing it anyway. You don't want someone that doesn't know you some VA you're going to hire from overseas. They they don't know you. They don't know your show. Your audience does.
0: Awesome. And then in terms of the multimedia world that we live in, like, you know, you could have a podcast, you could have a YouTube channel. What do you recommend? Do you recommend kind of uh, keeping it on the podcast trail itself? Or do you also recommend having a YouTube channel to go along with it?
1: You know, I think that, um, I've always had this saying, I don't care where they listen. I just want them to listen. But I also adapted video into my show very, very early. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, Blip, I think, Blip TV or something. There was a couple of early ones, Ustream. So I I adopted live video into my show early. And there was really initially one reason. I was living in Hawaii. I was recording at 8 o'clock at night. And to be honest with you, I was a solo show and I got a little lonely. <laughs> it got a little boring because mm-hmm. I was just talking into a mic, right? And how do you keep engaged and keep the, the energy up so that someone would feel that and being able to have of someone in a chat room. And maybe it wasn't from the United States. Maybe someone's in New Zealand, Australia that was in the chat room because of the time zones. It was enough to like have this little interaction. So I did live not for the value of doing live. I did it to help the interaction show, but it did two things for me. Number one, it gave me, it made me a better podcaster because I had to be better prepared. You get one shot with the video. You don't, it's really hard to edit unless you want to really have a headache. And number two, I was at that point at all. Some people like to listen. Some people like to watch. So I think a video component to a show in today's modern era where you can live stream anywhere, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, uh, uh, LinkedIn, you can almost assure to be able to stream your show to a location that uh, your audience is at and and build engagement and awareness. The YouTube piece, I've had a YouTube channel, be honest with you, my YouTube channel doesn't get a lot of views. It really doesn't. But I distribute my podcast as an actual video podcast. Many people don't know that you can do that. Um, you do have to have a big enough storage plan and some hosting companies allow it and some hosting companies don't because of the bandwidth required. But about 30% of my audience actually subscribe to the video podcast, which is, I find pretty remarkable that they would watch me for an hour while I'm doing my tech show. But again, uh, maybe they put it on and they don't necessarily watch, maybe they listen. So it doesn't matter. The content's being played. The YouTube piece, YouTube by is obviously a great search. It's, it's the second biggest search engine. So I think that the expectation on YouTube is you have to follow the YouTube formula. You have to write great titles, great titles, something that is catchy, something that someone will actually search for. And it's the same thing with your blog post. Number two, you need to have some template that you use in the description area of your YouTube episodes to make sure that that metadata can be found and again people can link off and come to your website or Spotify or wherever you want to send them to listen to the show. Um for me the main thing I continue to hammer home is that they can find me at my.com and there is an email address that they can interact with me directly that i read on the show so for me it's part of that feedback loop and also getting them back to the website so i really believe you should be everywhere you can be the the live component is a big you know it's a big commitment to do live uh it used to be very expensive now the equipment costs are almost free webcam and some software out there called obs and you're essentially have no cost involved to do a one camera live video stream Uh, There's products like StreamYard. There's uh, Riverside. Squadcast is getting ready to add a video streaming component. So there's lots of ways to do this easily now. But again, um, if you are hardcore on editing the show, maybe live is not the way to go because let's be frank, there's no editing. So, and I've lived, I would not be podcasting today if I had edited. None of my shows are edited. I'll edit a show if I make a gross major mistake and I can probably count on two hands. the number of times I've had to cut a segment out of my, of an episode, but generally I just cut the ends and do some leveling and upload it. I'm done. Uh, My marriage would not have survived uh, in those early days. If I had had to have spent three or four hours editing a one hour program.
0: I understand. Um, In terms of blueberry, can you Talk through
1: us all the services that you provide. Yeah, we're a full service podcast hosting company. Um, I hate to say it, but we really have something for everybody. If you're a new podcaster and want to get started and you don't want your website, you just want a landing page, kind of like a Twitter or Instagram. Uh, we've got a great onboarding program to get you all the way to the point where you just hit create and you you upload your first episode. We don't provide recording tools, but we provide all the publishing stuff you need. Now on the next level, uh, every one of our customer receives a free WordPress website that has uh, to manage WordPress site with uh, uh, about 14 or 15 plugins that, sh- that we found podcasters primarily use um, that you can turn on and turn off. And then at the next level is our PowerPress plugin. So if you have your own WordPress site over at DreamHost or GoDaddy or any of the other uh, uh, WordPress web hosting platforms, you can add the plugin and again, power your podcast with us. Our primary focus, because podcast hosts are kind of a commodity now, is we provide the ability for a podcaster to come in and learn and have tangible information on how to grow the show. We have a slogan, publish, analyze, grow. We make it easy for you to publish. We give you the tools to analyze through podcast statistics and stuff that actually makes sense. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to read it. And we give you growth tools. So recently, we've integrated with a company called PodRocket. We actually have courses that are free for podcasters to basically start and learn how to create a good podcast. Because some people are really detail-oriented. For those, we can do it. Some are just doers. They just go. Um, But again, we have a full source of educational resources. Now, we've even got the ability to do on the corporate side or on the professional side where if you need ad insertion products, we've got that. And a product that's being used by a lot of businesses is called uh, private internal podcasting, where you have a private podcast. And the difference between a private podcast and a public podcast is simple, a login. And they can use our, our podcasting app or log into a public web, uh, PWA, what's called a, PWA, uh, a private web app. And uh, only authenticated users get access to content. We have a lot of uh, businesses and also People that have educational tools, that type of thing, they're using that product. So it's really the full scheme, um, everything a podcaster needs. And the best part is we have phone support. Very few podcasting companies have phone. You can actually pick up a phone and talk to one of my team members Monday through Friday, nine to five. And then I have email coverage seven days a week. So it's sometimes you just need to call a friend say, hey, help. And uh, my team is my support team is fantastic. and We take pride in, in making sure podcasters get the help they need. Awesome.
0: So Todd, what, what do you believe is the, the future of podcasting from here on uh, any thoughts, any insights you can share?
1: Well, it, podcasting is an, is a unique space. Um, I call it the last bastion of free speech. Um, you may not like someone's speech, but they can say it and still have a podcast. Um, It's really an unique time in that um, a platform, and from my perspective, I see shows on both ends, left and right, from a political standpoint, being deplatformed. And oftentimes you don't hear about it because the person that's getting deplatformed doesn't have a voice big enough to be heard. Um, Where podcasts now, um, as long as you control your RSS feed, you can't be deplatformed. You can still have a message. You can still get what you want to say out there. And um, it's just, you know, often in the news about these, you know, the conservative group saying, yeah, we're being censored. Well, believe, believe it, censorship's happening on both sides uh, because I, I live this every day and I hear the podcasters coming back to me. They're having issues. but So I just tell them, don't worry. You, you've got your own RSS feed. You may have been taken off of a major platform, but you can still tell your listeners where to come and subscribe to your show and get access to it. So podcasting is open. There's no gatekeepers. And while we want to have podcasters largely have success across many platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, iHeart, all these different locations you get can get a podcast. It's up the podcaster to the podcasters choose whether they want to be there or not. And at the same time, no one can really say no at this point about not having your content again, or, or, or if they say no, then you still are online. And I think podcasting will continue at steady growth. We've had a few inflection points when Apple introduced the uh, podcast to iTunes in 2005 was an inflection point when the iPhone added the pod Apple podcast app was an inflection point when the series, um, Oh, gosh, I'm off the top of my head. I'm forgetting what the name of the uh, very popular podcast series that really caused an explosion. But anyway, there's been a number of uh, serial. That was the name of the podcast. That was an inflection point. Uh, Google, adding Google Podcasts, inflection point. So we've seen these inflection points where more and more listeners come on. Today, almost everyone knows what a podcast is. So the key is there are probably 400 thousand active podcasters amongst 4 million in a library. But if you think about 400,000, that's not a big number globally to compete against and getting listener share. So the main thing we have to do is continue to build audience. Having the great content is not an issue. Content's being added by the day. So I think we'll see a continued steady growth and unlike blogging or unlike YouTube, um, it's very easy to break out relatively in podcasting versus those other platforms because there's just a much smaller group of people doing it because it's hard. It's hard to put out great content. And it's, it's people often think I'm just going to start a show. Well, in sometimes the show um, doesn't get off the ground because the content creator says, man, wow, I I put a lot of time in this. I don't have the time. So I think those are putting shows out on a consistent basis. will continue to see their audiences grow. The growth rate is going to continue. Uh, it'll be, it'll be steady. Um, during COVID we saw a peak, um, but now people are back to doing their normal lives again. So then, you know, basically that peak is leveled back out. So we've heard over the years, podcasting is going to die. Well, I think we're way past that at this point. And I think we'll continue to see steady growth. Like, you know, the money coming into podcasting alone guarantees it's not going anywhere. And at the same time, we're trying to get more money into podcasters pockets to give them the motivation to continue as well. Uh, I just think that it's a good time to be a podcaster. And if you're thinking about starting a show, it's, you know, it, you don't have to have a budget. If, if you have a budget and it's relative, you know, again, starting at kind of blueberries, 20 bucks a month. Um, and if you don't have a budget, there's free offerings out there as well to do it. So the main thing is it's open to anyone at this point, literally, all you really need is a cell phone. I would recommend a microphone, but you can get started on a very, very low budget. And that's what makes podcasting to me exciting. And the diversity, the diversity of content. Women now are leading uh, content creation. Women of color are leading content creation. Um, it's it's a truly diverse space. In the very early days, it was mostly male. And uh, it's not that way anymore. Thank goodness. <laughs>
0: All right. So what's, what's a good way for people that want to get in touch with you to, to contact you?
1: Yeah, it's easy. It's Todd at Blueberry.com. Blueberry without the ease, because we couldn't afford the ease. So it's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.com. Um, we're on social media at Blueberry. We have an Instagram account too. Just look for us. But if you want to reach out to me, I'm happy to talk with you or point you in the right direction to get started. Uh, again, Todd at Blueberry.com
0: awesome well Todd thank you so much for joining us today thank you for sharing your insights Uh, you know obviously very impressive uh, what you've built out there over the years and uh, what you've done within the podcasting space and look forward to you know continuing to watch your journey as you grow
1: I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on your show and much success to you and to your audience as well
0: thank you very much